been, and you've said, this is nowhere. Because there's nothing to do but either take a walk or sit on the porch or just visit with your relatives. There's not much to do. But what you do learn while you're there. I got to learn about my Aunt Lizzie and my grandmother's sister and got to meet some of her kids and some of our cousins. So it wasn't a total waste, but you're learning something even when you're in nowhere. If you open your eyes and open your ears. The disciples with Jesus, in one sense, is going to make that trip to nowhere. It's a little village. And Luke is the only one who mentions it. He's the only one who talks about it. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament or anywhere else, really. Into this little village called Nain. But he's taking them there for a lesson. And sometimes God is taking you on a trip that seems like it's going nowhere for you to learn. <laughs> for us to learn. We're going to a place that, boy, is just not my cup of tea. It's not exactly where I would want to be. It's not exactly the spot that I would say is a place for growing and expanding. But he takes us to that place. The disciples had to learn to go to the less important areas for ministry. And the church still has to learn that. That we go to less important areas. All of us like to be in the spotlight. All of us like to be in the area that is, is vital and important and somehow brings attention to ourselves. But there are times that you wind up in areas where you won't be in the spotlight. You won't be getting attention. Uh, you're there and there is ministry there. But you had to go there. Who had to lead you there? And the disciples are going to such a place, and, and he's going to teach them the culture. This little secret is still true. There's a lot of forgotten mountains. There's a lot of forgotten mountains. There's a lot of forgotten places that people just don't want to go to. But they still should be able to hear what? The gospel. People everywhere need help in life. Everywhere. People need help. And we need to recognize that. And that whole process is something we're all going through. And help. And that's where the church should be. That's where the church should be. And we shouldn't be arguing about, boy, I'm not going to get any attention here. I could be doing more over there. 
that's a bigger population over there. Uh, that's a bigger thing over there. No, the question you have to ask yourself is this. Salvation has its roots in the purpose of the church. But the church follows salvation. It's not before salvation, but it's after salvation. But people had to learn and the disciples had to learn how to function in the church before the church was ever established. Learning how to function in the church is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. That one of the jobs of the church is to go to the least among us. Jaden, you and Kai, And the church has to be willing to go to areas that maybe sometimes is not very popular. And the only question we need to ask, are we following Jesus? Is he leading us? Is he taking us? And you have to be ready to meet the need anywhere and anytime. You have to be ready to meet the needs of people Anywhere, anytime. Now, when you follow Jesus, there's no telling where you will wind up at. There's no telling where you're going to wind up at. But the important thing that you've got to ask is this, am I following Jesus? Am I allowing Jesus to lead me? Am I walking in his footsteps? Am I doing what he wants me to do? When you follow Jesus, there is no telling where you will wind up at. You don't know. What you do know is this. You're following him. You're following him. And what counts is this that he knows the purpose and the doing that he wants to perform in that place that he's going. Some of you grew up and some of you might have grew up with parents like me because my kids would ask me when they get in the car, where are you going? Just ride. They would ask that question and I would get them to tell them where we're going. One reason I wouldn't tell them where we're going, long time they didn't know the place anyhow. And if I did tell them, it wouldn't make any difference. You're still going. <laughs> and one of the things that, as they got older, they began to understand. Dad, you were teaching us to trust you. 
You may not know everything about this trip, but enjoy the trip. But trust me that when we get there, I know the reason for which we're going and what I'm going to do once I get there. And you teach trust in so many different ways. And I would tell them, enjoy the ride. That's what I want you to do. Enjoy the ride. Look at the things that you might see. Learn as you're riding. But where we're going, just trust me that we'll get there. And that's the way it is with Jesus. That we follow him sometimes, not knowing exactly where we're going. So go with me to Luke chapter 7. Pick up with me in verse 11. And we're in this little short story here, but there's much in there. There's much in this little story. He says, in verse 11, he says, Soon after, Jesus went to the town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. They just went. But I imagine there were some of them in their mind asking this question. Why are we going there? Why are we going to this little village on the slope of a hill? It's not in Galilee. It's a ways from Jerusalem. Why are we going to this little village? Little village called Maine. And they follow him. And that whole process is when you follow Jesus, there's just no telling where you're going to wind up at. You're going to be there with him. And Jesus went to this town and they followed. Nothing is there. They're not known for nightlife, nightclubs. They're not, hey, they're not Vegas. Hey, there's nothing really there in this village to really see. And if we go there, we're really going nowhere. Because the village doesn't take you anywhere. You have to go off the main road to get to the village. Aren't we just wasting time? Aren't we just wasting our time sometime when we go off the main road? A village that is known for nothing. And you can look it up and you can't find nothing. No seaport. No products, no big manufacturing, nothing really important about this little village. And it was poor. It was poor. And sometimes we need to take our children around what is poor because they don't know what is poor. And sometimes they need to really see what is what? Poor. Mississippi, you can still see some poor, poor areas. And it was very poor. You were going nowhere again when you went to this little village. However, they followed. 
They followed Jesus to nowhere. Now let me ask you something. Would you follow him? Would you follow him knowing that you're really going someplace that is really has no importance, have really, really nothing to see, and you really don't know why you're going there? But they followed him. And the crowd followed him. Because there's something about Jesus. If you don't learn something about Jesus, and if you've been walking with him for a while, you ought to learn something in this fashion. He never wastes time or his words. He never wastes time or does he waste his words. There's always a purpose in his going and his doing and in his speaking. Always. There's never a waste. There's always something there for us to learn. For us to learn. And in this little village, they're going to learn. They're going to learn a little bit more about ministry. That sometime to perform ministry, you go where ministry is at, but it's one of those little places that somehow has no importance. And you're going to do ministry there. And it's not going to be written about. It's not going to really be told about. Somehow it's not going to really be advertised and so forth. But you go there because they don't have a town's paper. And there's no sights to go see. Ministry is found in some obscured places. Some hidden places. And understand something about people's lives. People sometimes hide from you ministering to them. They don't want you to know how poor they are. They don't want you to know how poor they are spiritually. They don't want you to know how bankrupt they are spiritually. But that's where ministry is at. That's where ministry is at. Places we don't want to go and sometimes people we don't want to touch or be with. That's where ministry is at. Sometimes we may think they're not worthy of it. And yet Christ died for all. And there's times we look at people and we say, why would I want to help them? Because they need our help, period. And they may not even ask for your help. But you see that they need help. And you want to help them. God blessed me the other day because I was up in Restore, up at Habitat, and this young lady, she said, Hi, Pastor Brown. And I didn't know her, but she knew me. And her and her husband was trying to measure this door and so forth, and he was coming from the top down trying to get it. And I said, You'll do better, sir, if you put your tape at the bottom because it'll lock in, and then go up. And you can see the exact measurement that way. Then remember, if you're looking for a 32-inch door, you're going to have 
uh, 31 and a half inch, most likely. Uh, then you need to know doors come in 30, 32, 34, 36. Doors don't come in 31. You know, that special door. And we just talked that every word out of his mouth was profanity. And I got ready to just kind of walk away and the two of them kind of like walked behind me, you know. And um, he's just using all this profanity. And I just stopped, turned around and faced him. I said, sir, can I say something to you? And I just kind of like put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, you know, you're a smart young man. You're an intelligent young man. You don't need to use all this profanity. I said, now, if you're out with the boys and you want to do that, that's fine. That's up to you. But this is your wife. And I said, I'm quite sure she doesn't like it. But she has to tolerate it. And I said, you're, you're able to speak without using all these words, especially around your wife. And if you're doing it around her, if you have children, most likely you're doing it around your children. And he kind of nodded his head. And I said, now, if you're doing it in the presence of your wife, what do you think your children are going to do? And I said, you know, I think you're a better man than that. And I invited them to church and so forth. Uh, but God allows us just to take time sometime just to speak into the lives of people. Now, what may have happened, I don't know. I left wondering, should I got his address and tell him, hey, I'll come over and help you put the door up, get the right door. But right there is where I stopped. Maybe that's all the Lord wanted me to do. People need help. But you and I have to recognize their need. And secondly, we have to be willing to help them. Ministry is wherever Jesus leads us. That's where ministry is at. It's not of my picking, of my choosing. It's where Jesus leads us. People in need of what Jesus can give. And you have to understand that principle. There are some things that only Jesus can give and man can't give it. But only Jesus. But you have to understand, Jesus is in you. And there's things that Jesus wants to pour out of you into somebody else's life. If you allow him. We have to be willing to go out of our way to serve others. And Jesus is teaching his disciples this point. Because out here in nowhere. But there's ministry there. It says, as we pick back up here, it says in verse 12, as he approached the town gate, 
a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. As they're going into the city, a dead person's coming out of the city. Being who Jesus is, I believe he went there exactly for this purpose. Exactly for this purpose. To meet a need of this widow. And he's way off the beaten path. He's in no man's land. There's no synagogue out there. There's no temple out there. There's no Pharisees out there. There's no Sadducees out there. It's just a poor, forgotten village alongside of the road. But it has people. People who have a need for Jesus. And the dead person's coming out. And they're going in. And for Jesus, he didn't bypass. He's going to get involved. He didn't set up his bowels of compassion. He gets involved. He gets involved. Scripture gives us three accounts in which Jesus raised the person from the dead. When you look at these three accounts, uh, oftentimes they're important because they did help his fame to really go forth. One is in Lazarus. All of us, when you ask somebody, boy, who did Jesus raise from the dead? Usually the first one that comes forth is Lazarus. He's well known. He's in the city of Bethany. Bethany is not quite two miles away from Jerusalem. Not very far. Names a little distance from Jerusalem. And yet it was also a larger city. And it was well known. The second one is Jairus' daughter. A synagogue ruler. At least they had a synagogue. And they had a priest over, over it. Ruling over it. And guess what? It's in Galilee. In the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum was known for its seaport and its fishing. Maine didn't have nothing. Nothing. Wasn't known for nothing. Capernaum and Bethany, you find those two cities all through the Bible. but not name. And yet Jesus goes there. And the third one you hear about, which oftentimes you never hear anyone mention this widow's son who Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus and Jairus, you hear about. And I think that's because of the importance of the cities and their location and the population. But this we very seldom even hear about. 
And it says the crowd also followed her. And Jesus took note of that. And a large crowd from the town was with her. For the size of the town, okay, you got 30 people with you. 40 people. That could be a large crowd for the size of the town. Well, what happened with the crowd after the funeral? And you're left what? All alone. All alone. And remember, it says, this is her only son. Now, it doesn't mention about daughters. Now, she could have had some daughters. But what was important at that time was that son. Because most likely that son did the providing also for his mother. Because it talks about him being a grown son. He wasn't a young, young man. He was a grown son. So there's some age there. Plus, she had not remarried. She's a widow, so she's up in age most likely. And he is the sole provider for her. Now, this woman is going to be alone. Too old to remarry. Left penniless. And likely reduced to just begging for food. And soon to be neglected by the others because as much as we say, if you need me, call me. As much as we give the words that sound good at a funeral, I'm always here for you. It's not soon, as the Lord says, when you go in the ground, you are soon forgotten and even your loved ones are forgotten. Very quickly. I think Jesus saw more of the need of this widow than what others were able to see. And he recognized that this woman was going to be alone. This woman may have been reduced to poverty all because she had lost her father. Because, see, ministry has to flow out of the heart. It comes from 13. In that verse 13, he simply says, I get where I find it here. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, he took note of her. He paid, he paid attention to her. He just didn't walk by. How often are we just walking by when people need help? How often do we just turn away when we could have helped somebody. When Pastor Travis first came, 
maybe within the first six months, I know within the first year, we were riding here on diagonal. But about three women were stuck on the side of the road with no gas. And trying to figure out why the car wouldn't start, but had no gas. And we helped them. We put the gas in, stayed there until they got it started, and they went on their way. It took about an hour out of our time. But we need to be a people who are willing to stop, pay attention, and do something sometimes. We never know where that's going to lead to. But it's an opportunity for ministry. And it simply says here that when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. I imagine the woman said, he don't know what he's talking about. He don't know that this is my son. He doesn't know that this is my soul's support. And he's saying, don't cry. Don't cry. And yet the pain, I imagine, in the crying was also being expressed. The hurt that comes forth from losing someone, the pain that's going through, all the thoughts that are racing. And he says, don't cry. Don't cry. Now, in verse 14 and 15, we kind of get to the meat of this thing. And we try to see Jesus stepping out of the box some. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. His apostles are Jewish. Most of these people who are following him are Jewish. And they know, most likely, the Jewish laws and the rules and so forth. So in that verse 14, he said, Then he went up and touched the coffin. Now, the coffin was just a straight piece of wood which the body was wrapped and just resting on the board and they were carrying. Instead, he touched the coffin. Didn't touch the body because if he would have touched the dead body, he himself would have been considered unclean. But he touches the coffin. And the coffin which the young man was dead. But even doing that, And immediately, they stopped. They stopped. They stopped. Understand something. Sometimes when you're doing ministry, and it's out of the box, and it's different, and it's not what people are used to seeing, they stop. And they watch. And they kind of want, well, what's going to happen next here? Because most likely nobody else ran up there and touched. Because they did not want to be what? Considered unclean. 
But Jesus gets involved and he walks over and he touches. Now that's not uncommon for him. That's what Jesus does. He touches the unclean. He touches people who are hurting and people who need help. He touches them. And the disciples have to learn that. Because these are strict, most like Jews, and they're not going to be unclean. And it kind of surprised everybody. Go over to Luke 12. I'm sorry, Luke 5, verses 12 and 13. Look what takes place over here. Because, see, when you start doing something out of the unnatural or out of the tradition, you do it, but in in your doing it, people are also learning from you as they see. He says in that verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Well, by all right, that man shouldn't even been nowhere where in town. Because <laughs> lepers were supposed to stay out from where? The town or the populated area. And he said, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The difference here is this. This man may have even went to town looking for this Jesus because he's heard something about this Jesus because he's in a place where he shouldn't be. It's not so much Jesus noticing him, but he's in this story, he's noticing who? Jesus. And he says, Jesus, if you're willing... This man is exercising faith on what he has heard of this Jesus. This woman in the small town most likely hadn't even heard of Jesus. And she never asked Jesus to do anything. But Jesus does it. And there's a purpose for which he does it. And he goes on and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. How many people would have touched their leopard? How many ever remember AIDS when it first really came out? I was a chaplain at the hospital. And when an AIDS patient was there, in one of the rooms, a certain color was put on the room. And when you went in, you're supposed to cover up and you're supposed to put all this stuff on because then they believe AIDS spread just by, until later on we learned, no, you won't get it by just breathing the same air. It has to be somehow the body fluids have to exchange. And I remember going into the room and the nurse telling uh, chaplain, Chaplain Brown, you need to put your mask on, you need to put this on, you need to put this on. If you put too much on, you become dehumanized. 
when you put the gloves on and all this on and I'm going to hold your hand and touch you, those gloves are speaking to that person. (laughs) When you cover up too much, now there's a difference, and this is what the difference is sometimes. If you are covering up to protect that person from getting anything, they understand that. But if you cover up based on trying to protect who? You're sending a different message. And I told her, I'll be all right. And I went in. And we had prayer. I was able to hug him, bend over and hug him. He got all these sores and and everything. But the thing is, you want to reach out to that person. You want to touch that person. And that person is longing for somebody to do what? To touch them, to hug them, embrace They're longing for that. They're desiring that. And this is Jesus. He touched this leopard. He doesn't put the gloves on. He doesn't put the gown on. He doesn't do all this other stuff. He touches the leopard. So there was no problem for him to touch that coffin of that dead man. Why? He touches people. No matter what the condition is, we touch people. No matter what the condition is, we touch people because they need that touch. Nothing ever takes the place of a human touch. Nothing ever takes the place of a human hug or embrace. Nothing never says and gives such security when you can just hold somebody for a second or two, no matter what their condition. And it says, boy, he touched him. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing. And that's what it takes. A willingness. And he says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy is gone. And he reaches out and he touches this coffin. Now imagine, boy, the disciples, the apostles, and the crowd is saying, He shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be doing that. But he does even more. He speaks to the young man. And he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, if you ever want to underline underline that, what did he do? He gave back. What does Jesus do? He gives back what the enemy has taken. He gives back to people the life that God desires them to live. He gives it back. Why? 
Because Satan comes to steal and to rob. What is he stealing? What is he robbing? It's not your money. It's really the life that God wants you to live. He steals it. And he gives this life back to the mother. He gives it back. And the disciples are learning. You go and you do ministry even to the very least of those. Why? He died for all. No Pharisees to argue with, no Sadducees to argue with, no platform, not really being seen, not in the spotlight, but doing ministry. Some people may call it an ungodly, forsaken area. But who's there? God himself. Touching. Touching. And take note of this. As the leopard said to Jesus, if you're willing, this mother never said a thing. She never asked him to do a thing. She never asked him to touch. Remember even with Lazarus? What Martha and Mary said, one of them said, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have what? He wouldn't have died. If you would have just been here. This mother never asked him to do a thing. Which I believe illustrates she really didn't know who this Jesus was. She didn't know. But Jesus knew her. And Jesus ministered to her. Now catch this. Without being asked. You minister to people at times without them having to ask you. You do something good for them without them having to ask you. When Miss Green tells us the story about the man who paid for her groceries down there at the store, he really didn't ask, although he, because of her stepmother, because she is a little bit suspicious of his action, and she says something, but he had already made up in his mind he was going to do what? Pay for the groceries. Miss Green wasn't going around with a sign in alchemy. Somebody pay for my groceries. Somebody feed the poor. Somebody help. No. He already had made up in his mind this is what he was going to do. And somebody has helped you along the way. And their mind was already made up to help you, to minister to you. You got to have that mindset that says, I'm ready to help. Lord, point them out. Lord, show me. Lord, allow me. Because God has already equipped you. Now there has to be a willingness to do it. And when you do, recognize something. You're giving back something to a person. To that young man that I talked to, I hope I was giving him back some self-respect. I hope I was giving him back something of what it is to be a husband and a father. 
I hope I was giving him something bad. Because something in here has taken him low. And I'm hoping I give something that would pick him up. You're giving back when you reach out and you minister. And he, he goes on, he says, the dead, the dead man set up and began to talk. I imagine once he set up and began to talk, the town didn't know what to think, the village didn't know how to act, the mother didn't know what to do. But it's the response that follows. It's the response that is important here. So in 16, he says, they were all filled with what? With awe. They had never seen it. They had maybe read about Elijah raising the dead. They read about the prophets. Now, I want you to catch something here because it's so important that we catch it and we understand it. Jesus didn't pull to the side and say, repent. Jesus didn't pull to the side and say, you must be saved. Jesus didn't give her a gospel. Guess what? He just acted. He just acted. Based on what the need was. He just acted. And he did. And he goes on and says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. Now look how the people respond. And you go back and you study that little section in 17 of 1 Kings 17 with Elijah. You hear the woman say, after Elijah brings the boy back to her, she says, you are a man of God. Didn't call him God. But a man of God. Look at what now is described to Jesus. And he didn't try to correct it. He didn't try to change it. And a great, and they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his what? There it is. Jesus at that moment, he didn't have to be known as God. He didn't have to be known as the Savior. He didn't have to be known as the Redeemer. He didn't have to be known as the one who would die for them. He didn't have to be known for that. But the people, they recognized something. He did something that no ordinary man was able to to do. He did something that an ordinary man could not do. And they were right by saying what they basically said. That God has given us a great prophet. But what they also recognize is this. God helped us. God helped. They didn't describe divineness or godliness to Jesus. Because you did not describe that to a man. You didn't give that to a man. And all they saw was who? A man. Touch. And they said, this must be a man of God. And God has sent him to us. 
God has come to help his people. Catch that phrase. And sometimes people need to know God is there to help. God is there to help. And when people can sense that God is there to help them, it gives them hope. It awakens their curiosity even more about God. It does something in here that once I recognize something, God's here to help me. That God is there. Now, Jesus does this not for the purpose of expressing his authority. There are parts in the gospel that we read. He heals and some miracles are done to show forth his authority. There are other areas in the gospel that it shows to prove that he is the son of God. In theology, they usually put all miracles were done on the basis of one fact and one purpose only, to show him as the son of God and authority, and that he has authority. I think one of the things that we miss out with people, and it's so important here, because the scripture, I think, really allows us to see it. The God of compassion. The God who looks upon us and understands our frame that we are but dust. Who understands how weak we are and how frail we are. That there is a God that has compassion and truly does love us and wants to help us. We're not asked to do anything here. We're not being any debate with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes. Didn't have to prove anything to anyone. But solve the need and was moved by compassion to help and to minister to this individual. And our God today is still moved by compassion. If John 3.16 is not filled with compassion, then we miss it. For God so loved. For God so loved. We didn't ask him to love us. But he loved us. He chose to love us. We couldn't make him love us. Yet he loved us. And yet he saw what my need was as one being lost and separated from him that he showed me compassion and love through Jesus Christ and demonstrated it on the cross, his love for me in spite of my sin. 
We minister and serve people in spite of themselves. Because there is a compassion and love in us that is not fleshly. That is not fleshly. And when the heart and compassion takes over ministry, we give back to people that which was lost in life. We're able to give it back. It's not about our authority. It's not about our titles. It's not about our fame. It's not about our position. When God gives us the ability to give back something that Satan has robbed, that's ministry. Look at the hope when they say, God has come to help his people. How many people need that simple message? That God has come to help us. God has come. How many families need that message? God is here to help me. God is here to help. How many men need that message? That God is here to help them. Not to curse them. Not to condemn them. But he's really here to help. Look at the hope that they basically have because they believe God is present to help. Jesus is not called God, but a great prophet. And guess what? It don't bother him because at that point, he knows who he is. He knows who he is. He knows who he is. When you know who you are, it doesn't matter what other people will call you. But you need to know who you are. This news did something. In closing, let me share this. When you do this, to the least of your brethren, somehow others will find out. <laughs> when you do it to the least of those, and you serve them, and you minister to them, others will find out. It says, This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countries. Wait a minute. This little town don't have no TV stations. This little town don't have no newspaper. This little town don't have no way of getting the news out there of what has taken place. You don't do it for the purpose of being seen. We don't do ministry for the purpose of being lit up in the paper. We don't help other people for other people. We do it out of compassion and the need that is there. And most of all, because God has equipped us to do it. Can you catch that? Can you see it? No fame 
No argument with Pharisees, Sadducees. No big crowd to take a side, per se. But saw a need, and his heart went out. That's our God. That's our God. He sees our need, and he is compassionate, and he helps. For the scripture says he's an ever-present He's there. Amen? Amen. Help somebody. Minister to somebody. Give hope to somebody. Do something out of the box that allows people to know there's a God that lives in here. There's a Savior that lives in here that just want to touch you. Just want to touch you. Just want to touch you. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, O oh God, that you minister to us. Because sometimes, Lord, we're scared to do ministry because of who the person is or the illness or, or the thing that might frighten us. But may we understand greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And may we understand that, Lord we do really have a divine protection. And that, Lord, there are times we have to step into places where other people will not step into. And we have to be willing to serve people where others have forgotten them and they're off the beaten path. Help us, O oh God, to do what you have equipped us to do. And that is to serve and minister to others. And let it be done, Lord, without everyone asking. There will be those who will ask us to do this, to help them with this, and to help this. But Lord, may it be times that we jump in and help people without them even asking us to do so. And sometimes, Lord... It can be done without even the person knowing who is helping. 